the following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guests Sting. Diamond Dave tarnishes the reputation of Van Halen with a, well, half-ass show in Las Vegas. Also, why a Canadian cannabis tech company walked away from CES 2020. Keep Labs co-founders Philip Wilkins and Ben Glickspin will join us. Plus, the best gadget of CES 2020, according to Michael and our ace director, Sean Jete, in our segment called The Technology of Getting High. <laughs> I, think, I think you should name this episode, What Happens in Vegas Does Not Always Stand Ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. I have to tell you, I was so looking forward to Diamond Dave, David Lee Roth, even though this wasn't my idea. And I have a feeling that of the three of us, Alan, your suggestion that we go see it, and Sean, as our director and field producer that you wanted to go see David Lee Roth in Las Vegas. I, I don't think either of you enjoyed it anywhere near as much as I did. I think you're probably right. I thought he was uh, mediocre at best. Sean? Yeah, no, mediocre is probably about the best way to describe that for sure. He was not not, not peak David Lee Roth, let's say. Okay, but you've got to picture the scene of us pouring out of the House of Blues. Alan, you disappear into the crowd. We can't find you. But it's our field reporter, Andy Barrar, Sean Jete, and me. And, of course, we had to put our drunken thoughts immediately on Twitter. We just witnessed a 65-year-old man. Like, I thought I had a lot of energy. That guy was on our next level. David Lee Roth. Okay, music, amazing. Forgot lyrics, but... California Girls. Couldn't remember the lyrics. Now, I couldn't remember the lyrics to California Girls, but... (laughs) 
I'm not David Lee Roth. But, but... The commentary between the songs. Yes. David Lee Roth. Does he have a? Does he have like a memoir or anything like that? Like, this man needs to write if, a book. If, if there was any person that should have a podcast, it is David Lee Roth. So we're having a debrief of the David Lee Cobb concert. Yeah. I'm. I felt like I was in the mountains and I found myself. You had a religious experience. Yes. It yes. was it, yeah. pretty much like yeah, my, yeah. my life is changed. First time seeing him. First time. Did but you ever like, see Van Halen? No. Okay. No, but I know. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so you had a remarkably happy experience. Yes. You really rocked it out. However, you as a musician. Well, he's a musician too. But he just he hasn't. I don't no, know. I just saw this. I, I didn't like see many. Every fish. single mistake he's got, that was made. Listen, he's got this man shot. here. Oh my god. Okay, he okay. couldn't hit a fucking cue for the life of him. Like just <laughs> every time it came to his turn to sing, he looked like, oh shit, is it my turn to sing? Yes, it's your fucking turn to sing. Okay, oh yeah, California girls, right? Yeah. Most famous. How do you, how do you apologize for my profanity? How do you forget? How do you forget the lyrics to California girls? Yes, yes. Right. You know how you forget? You just you get busy in your own head and you're looking around, you're doing your David Lee Roth moves. He had the moves, and his voice still had the power. Yes. Well, he did. You know, I think he, he eased into it. I don't think he sang a lot in the first half of the first half hour of the yes. show. There was an yes. awful lot of talk. Yes. yes. And I think he was easing into it. And no, I, no. And he got his, it was the booze. It was the booze. Yeah. Because he can't. Uh, Stagehand came on and refilled his tumbler with yes. four yeah. fingers of halfway through Panama. We don't know what it was. It, it was reminds me of when my grandfather used to. My grandfather used to go to the bar, and he goes... Two fingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's a good idea. I had a blast. Yes. At yeah. the end of it, you guys? I had a religious experience. In the end, like, I really enjoyed You know what I really enjoyed? I'll tell you, uh, his band was fantastic. Yes, they were tight. And, they were and tight. They were tight as hell, and they made the show, and he picked it up near the end. He definitely performed about four songs that were fantastic. He did really well beginning to end. Where's Alan Cross? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. We lost Alan. The man that actually got... He's probably writing a review. A couple of things. First of all, he did not he did not move on stage like the David Lee Roth of old. Now he is an older guy. He's 65. And he's not about to do any, you know, flying splits or anything like that, but he just kind of roamed the stage. No, he ambled across <laughs> the stage. And uh I noticed that he wasn't wearing in-ear monitors. He was relying on old school wedge monitors on the stage. So I don't think, and this is, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here, I don't think he could hear himself well because there were a number of times during the set where he was so off key <laughs> that there was a woman sitting next to me. We just looked at each other and went, eh? <laughs> I, I, I think you're giving him the credit of the technology. Yeah, I, a part of that is definitely the the lack of in-ear monitors. I also noticed a lot of feedback as they were trying to adjust his microphone. He kept, oh, yeah. He kept cupping it. Now, it, it, it was the first show. I mean, True. he played a show. We were there for opening night on the Wednesday. And he played a show. And it was not full either. Well, it's a Wednesday. Yeah, but the opening night, you'd think they'd at least pack the show. Isn't every night Saturday in Vegas? Yeah, you know, Friday, Saturday would have been bigger. Then he's coming back in March. I'm sure the next couple of shows would have been much better. I don't know when the last time was that he actually played live because this was a brand new band, which I must say was pretty good. Fake yeah. Eddie, whoever that guy was, had Eddie Van Halen's guitar licks and guitar sounds down almost perfectly. Al Estrada. And and the uh, the the background vocals sounded just like Van Halen. 
fantastic backup vocals. Yeah, we, we ran into Al Estrada, the guitar player, the lead guitar player at the bar afterwards. We tried to snag him for an interview. but That was my favorite part about that evening is that Sean says, hey, there's the guy who played in the band. And like I would not in a million years have recognized any of the bandmates despite watching them for 90 minutes or so on stage just 20 minutes earlier. And so I gave him all of my business cards and I said, okay, you're the producer, go get us the interview. And he was this close. <laughs> Very uh, close. But yeah, he was, he as under, they're under strict marching orders from their manager, not. Oh, they, they, they pay attention to what the boss wants. Of course. Oh yes. Some of the things I noticed as an outsider looking in on the whole experience, first of all, the microphone that David Lee Roth was using was a wireless microphone but there was a leather strap hanging off it. And that told me that that was a performer who was accustomed to using a wired mic and using his second hand, the one he wasn't using to hold the mic, and he needed something to do with it. So the solution was just to attach a leather strap so that he could have something to do with his other hand. Oh, that's interesting. I don't remember Van Halen or David Lee Roth back in the day. Yeah, you know what? That's a really good point. Um, I'll, I'll side with you on that unless anybody else wants to uh, dispute it. Well, he had he had a couple of incidents with that. <clears throat> what he likes to do is swing his microphone around, right. sort of sort of like Roger Daltrey from The Who. So he likes to swing the microphone around, so I imagine that's what he does because he doesn't wire to do it with anymore. Uh, and two incidences happened with that that I know of. One was at the Molson Amphitheater here in Toronto where he swung it around like that and it must have come loose and it went flying to the back of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> some, some roadie had to run out, retrieve it, bring it back to him, and hand it to him again. Uh, and then the other one was, I think it was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, where he swings it around and he hits himself in the face with it. Oh, jeez. And gave, him, he <clears throat> gave himself a bloody nose. It was lovely. <laughs> Roger Daltrey used to do that a lot because he used to give a real, he used to play out that microphone you know, 10 feet and, he, and he'd, he'd wail it around like, like, a, like a lasso. And he tried, he had this move where he'd, he'd sort of jerk it back in and catch it with the other hand, and it sometimes it didn't work. <laughs> so when David Lee Roth comes out on stage at the very beginning, I am grinning like an idiot, because so is he. He comes out, he's got this big smile on his face. This is a man at age 65, well past his rock and roll prime, in Las Vegas, recognizing that people came here for a show. And God damn it, he was going to give people a show. Well, he was going to give people David Lee Roth is what he was going to give them. Right. But the show that he gave was the show that I think he thought we wanted. And what I mean by that is because he's in Las Vegas and he's at the Mandalay Bay Resort there on the Strip, that when people came to see him, they expected not a David Lee Roth show as much as they expected a Las Vegas show. And I feel like all he basically did was rip off Liza Minnelli. Where, <laughs> come out, do a little preamble, launch into a popular song everyone loves, get the crowd all worked up, and then start playing a little Curtis Mayfield in the background and let the band just, you know, back and forth do that little thing while he gives us a little story. But you got a setting on the keyboard for that one, Danny? Remember the brass piece, remember? Give me that shit. Play it. A very Liza Minnelli-esque. Sing a song, tell a story. Sing a song, give a joke. Sing a song, another joke with a story. The only problem was, 
his stories clearly weren't crafted. Uh, no, he was pulling these out of his ass. He was rambling. Um, um, let me just stop you here for just a second. How do you know so much about Liza Minnelli? All I know is Vegas, and that is a very Vegas kind of way of going about things. But to your point about him rambling, he liked. He was desperate to encourage us to come back on the Friday night. We had seen him on the Wednesday. And the, his big selling point was, well, if you come back on Friday, there'll be all different stories because these are all ad-libbed stories. These are not rehearsed. And I'm like, you know what? You could have used a little bit of rehearsal. Uh, yeah, probably. They tended to go sort of pointlessly and... And end up and end up as you, you kept pointing out, Michael was he just sort of get lost in the story, didn't know how to end it, and turn to the drummer and go next song, <laughs> and they'd play the next day. Well, yeah, they they had a set list, and if you looked very closely, you could see what they were going to play. But uh, every once in a while, uh, Dave would call an audible, and they would change up and play a different song. But, you know, which which you know is cool because that band was really well rehearsed. They were super tight. Man, were they tight. So I would imagine that the Friday set and the Saturday set would have been, oh, let me just check. Hang on. I'm going to go. You guys talk amongst yourself. I'm going to check. Meantime, while you're looking that up, um, he it felt like he was pulling the show out of his ass. At first, I was super excited and happy. And by the end of it, I realized that this was a guy who thought he didn't need to do as much work as he truly needed to do. First of all, um, he forgot the lyrics to California Girls. True. Definitely one of the funnier parts of the night. Uh, and he not only did he forget the words, but then he drew attention to the fact that he forgot the words by saying, I forgot the word. Well, when you screw something up that badly, you have no choice. Like I, I'm a big believer in if you make minor mistakes in broadcasting, don't draw attention to them. Just keep on moving. Drawing attention to them makes it worse. But when it's one of your signature songs and you don't remember the words, having said that, when he came out for the encore and he's saying, just a gigolo... He was on point the yes. entire song. It was like the only song he had rehearsed. When he decided to sing, he really did a good job. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the two set lists played. When we saw him, he played 15 songs. When he played Friday, he played 19. Mm -hmm. Midway through Panama, as he's doing one of those little chatty chats, did you catch the stagehand come out and refill his tumbler with four fingers worth of whatever it was he was drinking? I think it was Canadian Club. I think it was. It was a brown liquid of some sort. Oh, yeah, yes. He seems like that, yeah. His, his tradition apparently is two shots of tequila before he hit, hits the stage. It uh, certainly seemed it. Yeah. <laughs> so at the beginning, I was super excited uh, to, to see him as he came out on stage. And by the end of it, I thought, oh, dude, if you would just put the effort into the performance that was expected of you and and you hit the notes as they were written originally you would have knocked it out of the park now having said that a lot of people in their mid to late 50s getting up and shaking their money makers that's for sure you know you saw all the moms out there with the teased hair and the 17 year old daughters who were just re absolutely revolted by the whole experience absolutely loved the experience so i have a feeling that Regardless as to what the three of us think, at the end of the day, the audience walked out happy. I, I think so. I'm just looking at the set list here for Friday. They played. He played four more songs that he didn't play for us. He played Fresh Out, Ice Cream Man from the first album, um, Everybody Wants Some, and what was the other one? Um, do, 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 mean Street, I think. No, he played Mean Street. So when we get on the plane, on the way back to Las Vegas, you turn around and face Sean and me and say, so... Uh, 
You guys going to uh, chip in for the tickets or what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I could use a little help there because, okay, here's what happened. I went to the Ticketmaster website and I, it says $64. Okay, fine. $64 tickets. I didn't know that the, the, the layout of the theater, had I known that it was as small, as intimate as it was, I would have gone for the $64 tickets. But I thought, well, you know, we're here. We might as well go up one. So I ended up getting, I picked three tickets in a row, $71 US each. And then because of a weird glitch with the Ticketmaster website, I bought a fourth ticket by mistake on its own in another part of the theater. Yeah, dead center. You pushed us off to the side. <laughs> and then halfway through the first song, Sean says, hey, I got an idea. Let's get up. And we sat behind you. Yes. And every time every time David Lee fucking Roth opened his mouth for a chit-chat, you got on your phone and answered email. I did. I was no <laughs> I wasn't interested. But my ticket was $131. So I I ate that and I gave uh Handy Andy, one of our video producers, uh you know, the ticket for free, which was nice. That was a nice touch. I made a lot of money US. So uh you guys, you know, $71 US, please. Checks in the mail. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> When it came to our live stream from the floor of the Las Vegas Convention Center at CES 2020, at the last minute, I had an idea about changing our top story from the montage of you eating your way through CES, which I think was the highlight for most of our listeners. Uh, it was, uh, there was some, there was a lot of food available and it was all very good, quite good. Yeah. And booze for that matter as well. Uh-huh. But uh, we... When we had landed before the big media event um, last year, you and I went off to reef dispensaries and did a big interview with the cannabis cultivators because it's legal in Nevada. And we thought, when in Vegas sort of thing. And we went down and we talked to them. And on our way out, we passed by another dispensary called Planet 13. And Sean and I thought, you know, we should go there and see what that's all about. Again, when in Vegas. So we did. And it was insanely expensive we ended up back at Reef Dispensaries, and I thought, let's let's experience Vegas the way Vegas is meant to be, which if you're not a boozer, there's only one other alternative, which is cannabis. So the first time Wait a minute. There might be a few other alternatives, but yes, that's one of the other alternatives, yes. That is a valid point, indeed. None of those other alternatives, though, on the table as far as this married man is concerned. <laughs> right. So Sean and I walked out with something I had never experienced before, which is a vaporizer pen. Now, I, I suppose I need to start at the very beginning, which explains that when I was a kid coming up, my parents were hippies. Um, and so I, I, I like to describe myself as the Alex P. Keaton of my family. <laughs> what could we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby? Which is something, you know, a Gen Xer or a boomer might understand. A millennial just might understand it as the straight-laced kid who, you know, didn't do any wrong and, and kept on the straight and narrow kind of thing. But I hit a point in my life where I realized my hippie parents had been such an influence on me on the pendulum swinging the other way that I was very anti-weed. And I needed to recognize that I, I need to sort of come to an understanding about what it is I'm against. So I made a point of experiencing marijuana. You did some research. 
I've did my research and I, I've I've experienced, I think, the majority of the means by which one consumes it. You've got the joint, you've got um, the bong, which is an interesting experience and unnecessarily complicated as far as I'm concerned. Um, you've got the edible, which, Alan, you and I had that experience when we were at CES last year. Yes. Uh, of which neither of us had a particularly enjoyable experience no. at the end of the day. Um, and then, so Sean and I went, you know what, I'm going to get a vape pen, which is different from the vaporizer experience that I've had previously as well. And the reason why I wanted to lead with our vape pen experience at CES 2020 live stream was because of all the gadgets we saw that day, this was the one that appealed to me the most because we've seen all the different ways in which you can consume cannabis. Every single one of them, save edibles, has some annoyance factor associated with it. You've got to grind a thing. You've got to roll a thing. You've got the smell. You had none of those experiences with a vape pen. And for the first time after years of going to CES and seeing rows and rows and rows of tobacco-based vape pens and wondering why anyone would give a rat's ass, it suddenly occurred to me that this was perhaps the most elegant means by which one could consume the content. So I thought I'd bring in cannabis reporter, formerly of the Globe and Mail, Jameson Burko, to help us understand the technology and the future of weed. Jameson, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure, Michael. If the broader consumer is going to consume this product, it's going to have to be elegant. It's going to have to be discreet. It's going to have to be efficient. And it strikes me that vape pens, not vaporizers, which require you to pack a little bowl and then heat something up. Oh, they are a big hassle, yes. <laughs> this is the most efficient way to consume that content. Not only that, but it's also the closest technological equivalent to, you know, one of the oldest and most tried and true and still most popular methods of consuming your cannabis, which is rolling it up in a, you know, usually hemp-based paper and just lighting it on fire and inhaling. So it's like having a, you know, lit joint effectively sitting in your pocket anytime you might want to pull it out and take a toke and then put it right back in, except, you know, not burning, not lighting your pants on fire or calling you a liar or anything like that, and making it relatively, I won't say, you know, harm-free, but certainly reducing a lot of the health risks that uh, tend to be associated with inhaling dried plant matter in general. So before we get into the health implications of it, because I think there are, uh, there's a substantial conversation to be had in that, um, when I had gone back to the suite at the end of our day and I had um, pulled this thing out of the packaging and figured out how it worked, I immediately texted our ace producer, Sean Jate. Poor guy. And basically live streamed my experience to him via text message. So his suggestion is that we read the verbatim of that conversation. I was hoping something like that might occur. Is there is there some way that uh, that I could play you, perhaps, in this uh, wonderful pantomime? <laughs> uh, no, no. Let Sean play me. Okay. Sean understands that. And let you play Sean, <laughs> because I think Sean and you are very simpatico when it comes to your positions on weed. Sound like a plan? I am... For no reason flattered. <laughs> Guess it starts with Sean receiving this text. Holy 
Fuck, dude. What? I hit this vape pen with the same intensity as a vaporizer and I almost killed myself. Easy, tiger. No shit. And frankly, seems to be way more civilized than my method. Post a gif of Snoop Dogg saying, yes, exclamation mark. I've been saying that. And just as cannabis takes off, those fuckers in the vape pen tobacco industry had to go fuck it up forever. <laughs> I kind of want to make it the fucking top story on the podcast. <laughs> that just might be this instant fucking high talking. It's not that bad. I hate to say it, but media hype is a real thing. Why would anyone want to crush flour, put it in a combustion chamber, and burn the back of their throat like eight times to get the equivalent to what I will confess is a bit of a wild ride? Haha. Oh right, that thing called popcorn. Come on, popcorn lung comes from hitting nicotine vape like it's oxygen. Precisely. But the general public is going to lump all vape pen technology in the same boat. I inhaled so deeply because I didn't think it was going to work. I couldn't find an on button, so I just inhaled like a son of a bitch and nothing. Just cold room air. But about halfway through the inhale, the texture of the air began to change. And that was when I really leaned in. Nothing. But by the time that thought hit my head, so did a THC freight train. You are so fucking high right now. <laughs> Just knowing that Michael is sitting there listening to that whole reenactment uh, <laughs> does my heart good. So, Alan, was that a sales job for vape pens for you or what? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm online right now buying what I can. <laughs> you're only about 12 hours away from being legally able to do that alan but we'll pretend like we're having this conversation 24 hours in the future okay <laughs> well let's talk about that because uh if this is the most elegant efficient and discreet way and and frankly i don't think there's almost any smell whatsoever associated with it versus a rolled joint where it's all smell and all particulate matter in your lungs it strikes me, Jameson, that um, just as this technology hits the mainstream, we see all these headlines about tobacco-based vape pens causing innumerable problems for consumers. And some cannabis-based vape pens, it's important to note. Okay, so then how do you determine which ones could possibly kill you and which ones are safe? The easiest way is just to purchase legally, which of course is, you know, probably the most frustrating answer. I think a lot of listeners that you have who don't happen to be living in Canada or some of the, you know, more progressive American states, uh, not including the one that I'm currently talking to you from. But I mean, you have to look for regulated products because if you get an illegal product, I mean, it's effectively like going to a CD bar and assuming that the bartender is not watering down the drinks. They are, except in this case, they're watering down the drinks with what is the equivalent of arsenic, right? Uh, what I'm talking about, of course, is all those reports that have come out of some of the 
institutions of the United States, like the Center for Disease Control, showing that a lot of the vape-based illnesses that have come out of at least the connection to cannabis vapes uh, are using an additive that's called vitamin E acetate, which is just a diluent, basically. I mean, it thins out the cannabis oil so that if you're, you know, an illegal producer or a producer in a state where they don't have any regulations, which is actually most of them in the U.S., then you can thin out your product with whatever you want and, you know, darn the consequences. So um, that is a real challenge for people. And I mean, frankly, even from my own personal experience, it, it kind of puts me off sort of looking at the vape products that I know are out there. There's a plethora of options on the illegal market that is, you know, accessible at a few taps of my phone. And that will give me pause, even though, you know, the the point that you make is valid, Michael, in that it is in every respect a, you know, better, faster, cheaper. I mean, it's it's kind of a quintessential example of the way technology makes things better. It's also a little more expensive, but let's come back to uh, the point you made earlier. Are you telling me that if I go to my buddy Uncle Doug and Doug Ford at the Ontario Cannabis Store sells me a vape pen, whether it's flavored or otherwise, I don't have to worry about having that additive included that runs the risk of giving me popcorn lung? That is correct, as far as I know, although it's important to note, you know, you said there's no smell associated with it. That very much depends on the product because you can get, and this is among the more popular type of vape pen technology, just a pure distillate where it's just full of that, you know, high inducing cannabinoid THC and not anything else, including, you know, the terpenes, those chemicals that give pot its distinct smell or the flavonoids that make it taste a certain way. But a lot of increasingly popular products, particularly now that, you know, in the legal market, consumers can be a lot more discerning about what they want to buy. There are these, they call them full spectrum or entourage effect based products that actually process the entire cannabis plant and get all of the oils from that so that if you have a vape pen with that sort of base technology, then what you're going to exhale is going to smell a lot more like pot smoke than you might otherwise expect. Yeah, a lot of the products that we were using definitely weren't the flavored variety, the, the Fruit Loops or birthday cakes that you can get. I wouldn't recommend those. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones that I tend to stay away from. I've, I find that that's... Something's going to get watered down. It seems to be something like that. Not just that. It's like flavored coffee, right? You know they're not using the best beans for the vanilla coffee. Correct. Yeah, that's it's true. They're covering it up for sure. But what I've what I've read about this, Jameson, and maybe you can comment on this as well, is that it, despite using a legal variety of these vape pens, there really is no quality control on them yet. It's up to the manufacturers to sort of police their own society in that sense. Um, do you know anything about that? Is there any is there anything in Canada that they've been doing to try to t test this technology? That's an excellent question because I mean that addresses the main issue that has gone unresolved in this whole vape pen space and this whole debate about their safety, which is the technology surrounding you know, what you're actually inhaling. There's been all this focus on, oh, what is it you're actually breathing into your lungs? But you're right that there's very little regulation, even in legal states. I mean, actually, one example, Sean, was in California as a completely legal market right now. But there was a study that found cadmium 
that was evident in leakage of several legal vape pens because, you know, to your point, there's very little regulation on how these devices themselves, the actual battery and thing that allows the oil to be, you know, heated up and brought into your lungs are constructed. I know Health Canada is looking at that, but my understanding is that, you know, they're kind of just at the investigatory phase right now. And because, it's really just a matter of getting a handle of where most of these are manufactured. I mean, we know it's mostly in China, mostly actually in an industrial complex outside of Shenzhen that actually produces most of the vape pens that people across North America and Europe consume. Um, but what we don't really know is how the quality control process varies across manufacturers and who uses what manufacturer. And, you know, the list goes on and on from there, like the beating of the butterfly's wings issue. So that's really where the risk, I think, still lies, not necessarily with the actual cannabis extract product that is going to be in these vape pens as, you know, as they heat up and get to this very high temperature, what happens to all the metals and various transitory products that are included in the technology that might make its way into your body in some harmful way that we don't quite know yet. As the person who uses the least weed of the three of us, how come I knew about vape pens three years ago? For years, I had been going to CES and seeing um, an entire section of the Consumer Electronics Show dedicated to crappy knockoff Chinese iPads, drones, and of all things, vape pens. And I didn't understand the interest in vape pens until I had the experience, which was the most elegant of all means that I've ever consumed weed. I have to agree that up until I tried the cannabis product, I found vaping generally an annoying trend filled of the sort of people who like to refer themselves as bro. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, vaping is for douchebags. Right. If you don't have a ponytail. Well, and they have those like big, they look like they're like Geiger counter things that probably have like 12 hours of battery life so that you could actually like create some kind of apartment building smoke montage if you wanted. And uh, or I don't know, smoke a rabbit out of its cage. I don't know how the expression goes, but just these people are gross. <laughs> hey, may I help you? Yeah, this is kind of neat. What is it? Oh, it's from New Guinea. It's a ceremonial spirit box. Wow, that's cool. What do you do with it? You put your weed in there. <laughs> oh. This isn't the only means by which to consume the content. And at CES 2020, we were really looking forward to meeting up with a Canadian company. But this Canadian company found themselves caught up in a remarkable controversy associated with it because they received an innovation award from the Consumer Electronics Show, but were told flat out they are not permitted to use the word cannabis anywhere in their promotional advertising in their booth or when speaking to the attendees. So we wanted to get some insight into that and what this technology is. Uh, joining us now is uh, from uh, the company Keep Labs, the CEO and co-founder, Philip Wilkins and uh, Ben Glicksman. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Well, it would have been really nice to talk to you guys about your tech on the floor of the Las Vegas Convention Center, but you said, forget it. Yeah, I mean, we would uh, definitely have loved to uh, chat with you guys there as well. But, uh, you know, we had a decision to make of stay true to our brand and uh, bring awareness to the budding uh, cannabis tech industry. And so we decided 
to Fine. take a stand there. <laughs> Explain to all of us what exactly your gadget is, because I, I I sort of got a, a, a flashback to that Saturday Night Live sketch. You keep your weed in there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. So we are, uh, it, Keep is a cannabis storage device, uh, connects to your mobile uh, device via Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. Um, it's got a built-in scale so that you have the ability to monitor your inventory, as well as uh, uh, the ability to send push notifications should anybody try to move the device. And uh, there's a front lid LED display that you'll see that has the the time and outdoor temperature, just so that it can add to that level of discretion uh, when you're putting it in home, so that it's something that a passerby wouldn't notice. It looks like a clock radio. Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, the focus here for Keep was um, how do we keep cannabis safe uh, and how do we keep it discreet in terms of the device itself, uh, because at the end of the day, Hey, you don't want to bring attention um, to your cannabis there if you're trying to keep it out of the hands of certain people. Alan? Um, got nothing. <laughs> don't store stuff at home. Where do you store it then, Alan? I, I don't. I mean, I, I have my, my, my gummies and my my edibles and my CBD spray, but I, I and I have no children. Spill I it, have, Alan. Where's the stash? I have no stash. It's it's this. It's not a stash. It sits out on the counter with everything else. I'm not buying it. I don't know about you guys. I gotta come visit you then, Alan, so that I can make sure I swipe it next time we're uh, we're around. It's right there. You can take. It. You can. Everybody can see it. And Jameson, I can imagine you've seen your fair share of humidor technology in the spaces you cover cannabis. Sure. Although I have to actually give the nod to keep for for bringing, you know, real smart tech into seen anything quite so, um, you know, iPhone generation as this product. But I I did actually want to ask you guys once I knew I was going to get a chance to uh, uh, be connected with you was, you know, I, I got really excited when I heard about your product. And like a lot of journalists, I, I got to cover, you know, of course, the the ridiculous uh, process of being awarded. I, I, I want to know whether that was an issue of stigma, you thought, but, but also whether or not you still face that when I mean, just as an example, like I I told some friends about your product and they were convinced, especially because of the scale feature that it was for drug dealers. What do you say to those people when, you know, when you encounter that kind of reaction? Yeah, I got to say that that's the the first um, uh, we've heard of that in terms of going that sort of direction. Um, I don't think anyone's ever said that it's uh, intended for drug dealers. That's definitely not why we built it. We we it's built definitely it definitely not for, big enough for drug dealers. Yeah, explain like the scale of buying a you know relatively expensive thing compared to what if you're a drug dealer. You know, there's twenty dollar options that are just as effective. I I, I mean, it it still just sort of spoke to me like there's there's enduring stigma that that keeps companies with innovative ideas like this kind of with one high, one hand tied behind their back. Yeah, to just address why we built it, we built it because uh, we wanted to address the stigma, and that's probably to give people a sense of comfort for having cannabis in the home, especially with all the innovation that's going on in the industry. Uh, Cannabis is going to be more prevalent than it's ever been. It's going to be more easily to consume. Um, We wanted to give people the ability to have peace of mind uh, when, when they have cannabis. And so you know, if you're a professional, if you're, you know, an everyday person or whatever, um, 
people of all walks of life have cannabis or use cannabis. Uh, uh, we wanted to give them the ability to store it in confidence. Uh, the second reason why we built it is for the utility associated with it. All of the reasons or all of the features that Philip highlighted. Uh, currently, everybody's, you know, majority of people continue to keep their cannabis the way that they did in high school or university or whatever, and that's uh, hidden away uh, that in an inconvenient manner, um, that's not necessarily the most responsible. Uh, and we wanted to give people the ability to store it in a cool way, in a convenient way, without having to sacrifice that sort of discreetness uh, associated with it. In, in terms of the challenges that we face um, uh, as a company, as a cannabis adjacent company, uh, we face them all as if we're in a legal dispensary. Uh, whether it's Kickstarter, Indiegogo banning us, whether it's the issue at CES, uh, our payment processors kicking us off, uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram banning our ads, uh, we faced it all. Um, uh, and all we're trying to do is give people that use cannabis an option to store it in a responsible manner uh, uh, and you make homes safer. It's funny to me that the whole CES thing about them not wanting you to use the term cannabis it reminds me of head shops when they had to say these these products are for tobacco use only. You have a giant bong, six foot bong standing there. Yeah. So it would it's it's very similar to the reminiscent to that to me, and it, and it's it seems like a silly game to play. But my question for you guys is, um, uh, why the scale? I've as, as a as a long time cannabis user, I I never used a scale even back in the day, not probably because I was never a dealer. But um, are people that concerned about dosages for themselves because you've, I'm, I'm assuming this isn't a security thing you're not worried about your supply disappearing since you've got this box that only you can control the access to so is this is this simply about a dosage thing does it give you a notification saying hey dude you're running low <laughs> uh you can set the notifications to do that i mean the scale is, is primarily go. built in there for uh monitoring your inventory so you know let's say it's a friday you're at the office or you're you know out at the library and you're thinking to yourself oh you know tonight i'm you know, want to consume cannabis with some friends and you don't know whether you have any, but maybe you have a dispensary on your way home. You open up the app, you see what you've got. And now all of a sudden you can have uh, an educated uh, choice to make of whether or not you actually want to use it. So it's not so much about weighing the product. It's all about uh, understanding what you have. And at the same time, there's the monitoring of how frequently and how much quantity are you consuming so that you have the ability to look back and say, wow, I must have been you know, stressed out this week because I went through X amount of my product. Um, so that, again, you have that uh, comfort in knowing that you can monitor or monitor your product in, from anywhere you are as well. It sounds like Fitbit for weed consumers. <laughs> well, no, hang on. It's kind of like if you're a bartender. One of the things that they make bartenders do before the doors open is weigh all the bottles to make sure that they have a you know track of, of, of spillage and make sure that the bartenders aren't uh, doling out more than they should be. Yeah, I mean, it could absolutely be like that. Again, we, we don't want to tell people how to use the scale, right? Uh, we put it in there for convenience um, as, as something that people could use. Again, if you're a medicinal patient, maybe you do want to monitor, right? You want to know that your prescription, I know I'm, I've got epilepsy, right? So I use 
medicinal cannabis and my prescription is for a gram a day. Um, I'll tell you, I don't think I've ever even come close to that, but the ability to know that so that when I'm talking to my physician uh, could be something that's important. Or if I'm someone who just wants to know that, hey, I'm you know consuming too much this week, um, having that ability to track it, I mean, People are gonna use it however they wanna use it. We don't wanna dictate that, um, but we wanna be able to offer up a technology solution um, to people and um, evolve from there. So then tell me about the CES decision that you had made, because you clearly had made a decision that you were going to be there. Yep. Uh, that is expensive. You have to get a booth, you have to build the booth, you have to um, pay for that booth, and you get all the incumbent attention that comes with being at CES. They say, congratulations, you've got a great innovative product here, but by the way, you can't use the word cannabis. So you guys pulled out. Um, tell me about that decision, because I can imagine you would have gotten a tremendous amount of attention at a, at a trade show that really isn't, despite its name, consumer electronic show. It's not for consumers. It's for companies that are looking for the next big thing that they can put on their store shelf to draw in a customer, like a Best Buy or a Walmart or what have you. Would there not have been a tremendous benefit to you guys being there insofar as maybe you got distributors, maybe you could sell this thing around the world, yet you pulled out? Yeah, it definitely wasn't uh, an easy decision and we understood the risks associated with it, but we got notice in uh, after winning the award, after speaking with CES, after planning to go ahead, uh, uh, obviously we're really excited about it. Uh, we got notice from the CES uh, basically saying, by the way, uh, you cannot mention cannabis, you can't allude to cannabis, you can't show any cannabis images. Um, thank you very much. Uh, we never got a, a reason as to why they said that, but that was their position. Uh, we so, but they did say that we could uh, display as a, a storage device because we won in the home appliance category, and we gave that some thought and we said, okay, we could do some clever things associated with that, maybe. Uh, but we did. We wanted to stay true to who we are uh, and what our mission is. Um, which is to make homes safer and to give people the confidence to bring cannabis out of the shadows. And we didn't think that we were going to do uh, the cannabis industry well and cannabis tech well by hiding behind that. Um, now, obviously, there's there's been some a lot of attention because of it, and that's a silver lining, but it would have been great to be there, to meet people, to shake hands, to meet distributors. Um, but we're going to work hard to make those connections, connections anyways. Well, before we leave you, l let me ask this question uh, of you. But let me also ask this first of um, the cannabis reporter, Jameson Burko. Uh, Jameson, at what point do you see the stigma associated with cannabis consumption gone from broader society? That, I mean, really depends on whether or not you have faith in the power of social media making things move so much very faster, Michael. I mean... Everybody said because of the Arab Spring in uh, you know, 2011 that democracy was going to come to the Middle East, but that didn't happen. And now we kind of seem to be at a similar crossroads with cannabis. There was this belief that the switch was flipped on legalization in Canada at the very least and that that was the end of stigma. But, you know, a lot of that has persevered. I think we're at, at least a decade away. I mean, it's not going to take as long as it did with alcohol stigma, but Clearly, there's a lot of misinformation out there that is holding back people's understanding of what is now just as legal as a glass of wine. I agree with Jameson completely. I think the 
The big thing that we've seen and what we've been most excited about over the past week, while obviously the CES uh, stuff has been disappointing, I think in order to change that stigma is we need to have conversations like this um, with outlets like yours, right? Um, we were covered by CNN, Fortune, Forbes, uh, some other traditionally uh, conservative media outlets um, bringing awareness to this and bringing awareness to the challenges companies mm -hmm. like ours face. And that to me is a step in the right direction because it shows a willingness to bring this conversation out of the shadows. Um, Vegas is a great example of you could walk out of the CES show, walk into a dispensary, get an edible and leave it anywhere for anybody to touch. And yet here we are saying, do that. Take advantage of the, the regulation in the um, areas in which you live, but just be responsible. Don't be an idiot. Right. And not being an idiot and being responsible means storing it safely. And the fact that we couldn't share that message to uh, a trade show that has 180,000 uh, attendees was disappointing. But again, as, as Ben was saying, the silver lining in all of this is we hope that our story um, gets out there and inspires other companies who want to innovate in the space to continue to push this conversation forward because it isn't going away. Cannabis isn't disappearing back into the shadows. It's here. Um, it's legal in over in some capacity in over 33 states federally here in Canada. Uh, globally, the perception is changing. Um, and we need to be having conversations selfishly for keep about being responsible consumers. And until we have <laughs> that part of that conversation, right, where it's not about bongs and blunts, it's about being responsible, uh, we're not going to have that stigma uh, get away from the stoner stereotype. You, you, you joked earlier about the SNL skit. Um, it's something we've given a lot of thought to because that, to me, perpetuates the stigma. Um, so how do we change that and how do we bring to light um, that, you know, Ben's a venture capital attorney and here he is talking about cannabis. Uh, the, the cannabis consumer archetype has changed uh, significantly, and uh, it's going to continue to, to evolve. The very fact that the controversy exists surrounding what happened to Keep really does speak to the fact that there's at least some progress being made. I think 10 years ago, nobody would have cared what happened to this company, but now everybody thinks there's a problem here. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Philip Wilkins and Ben Glicksman are the co-founders of Keep Labs. They joined us from Toronto. It was Toronto, right? Waterloo. They joined us from Waterloo. And Jameson Burko, formerly of the Globe and Mail's Cannabis Reporter. Jameson, you've got a new project coming up in the not-too-distant future. That's right, actually. It's uh, funny that uh, we just heard Ben was a venture capital attorney because... Venture capital is getting into the cannabis space in a very big way. I'm sure a lot of people have probably heard of Canopy Growth, the world's biggest grower of uh, cannabis and uh, soon-to-be cannabis accessories, if such can be grown. Uh, they have a venture capital arm. They like to think of it as the way Google thinks of Google Ventures. It's called Canopy Rivers. And I'm going to be joining this venture capital firm in about a week specifically to launch a new media outlet called The Rise. And that's all we really know about it so far. That's what we're calling it. But the whole mission is exactly like we were just talking about, Michael. We were trying to eradicate stigma, correct misinformation that you know permeates 
across society now because of a century of prohibition and try and encourage some entrepreneurship in the space since, as we all know, that's what drives the economy. Jameson Burko joined us from his vacation destination in Florida. Thank you, Michael. Want to show your love of the world's most popular podcast, but don't want to open your wallet? Rate and review The Big Show on iTunes and Stitcher. We're not above bribing you either. The craziest review could win you free crap from the Geeks and Beats swag store. So CES 2020, absolutely my favorite CES of the 11 years I've been going down with very much thanks in part to Sean Jate. Sean, we had a great time. I had a great time. It was really fun to go. And I thought um, we did a lot of hard work the first uh, two days, especially with getting interviews and and editing them all on the second day. Um, But I thought it really paid off. I thought it was a great show. And I'm very grateful to our listeners who uh, ponied up some cash to help send us all there. Alan, how'd you feel about the big show? I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. You guys did a fabulous job. I just kind of sat on the sidelines. Uh, but the work that you guys did was was absolutely <laughs> stunning. But you did finally get to experience CES the way it's meant to be, which is wandering around, checking stuff out. How did it go? Uh, I put on an average of 12,000 steps a day. Yes. <laughs> there was uh, there was a lot of walking around. There was no one big single product that everybody was you know going gaga about this year. No. But there was still a lot of really cool things that uh, will make it into the consumer pipeline by the end of this year or sometime in 2021 or maybe never. And you can catch a lot of those consumer products at geeksandbeats.com. We've got an entire page dedicated to all of our coverage. You can check it all out. I think perhaps, Alan, if I can speak on your behalf, your favorite gadget you saw down there was the Internet of Things doggy door. Yeah, it was really cool. It is a security device that also opens your your patio door for your dog when the dog wants to go out. And then you put a little tag, a little tile on the dog's collar so that the dog is let back in. Um, I have a couple of dogs, and each of them want to go out in the middle of the night, which really annoys me. This would eliminate that. John, anything jump out at you? Um, I think probably the most impressive thing was the uh, Hyundai Uber helicopter. Oh, yeah, the drone. The The drone thing that would come and pick you up and take you. I don't know know where they're going to pick you up from, because that thing's not landing on my street. Oh, no. No, it's massive. But uh, but how were they figure that out? It just it was definitely sort of a, uh, a futuristic style thing where you, it made you, it made the juices flow a little bit as to as to how those things might come our way. In the next and again, thank you very much for helping make it possible for us to get to CES 2020 through the GoFundMe campaign, the Patreon account as well, and our PayPal account. If you go to geeksandbeats.com, click on the support the show link, you can support us on a regular basis, and that'll help make it possible for us to get to CES 2021. We also want to say thank you to our two key sponsors, the Auto Parts Manufacturers Association of Canada. We got to go down there and learn firsthand that Canada is building a zero emissions concept car from bumper to bumper using nothing but Canadian technology. And we want to thank our friends at Audis as well. The headphone makers showed off the Mobius headphones with the eight independent speaker drivers, Alan, I think is the way we could describe it. I, I guess so. And then there's some kind of gyroscopic thing, gyroscopic thing within the earpiece itself, which enhances those eight channels that go into each earpiece. It, it really is something. So go to geeksandbeats.com, check it all out. And thank you very much for helping make it possible for us to get down there. 
Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or stream us live at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcasts with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.